0: If you would turn in your Bibles to our second reading today, you'll find that in the book of Exodus. Continue our series by reading Exodus chapter 2, beginning with verse 11 and finishing up at verse 22. We're looking at page 58 of our Pew Bible. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to the, his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid, and he thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them. "'and watered their flock. "'When they came home to their father, Ruel, "'he said, "'How is it that you have come home so soon today?' "'They said, "'An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds "'and even drew water for us and watered the flock. "'He said to his daughters, "'Then where is he? "'Why have you left the man? "'Call him that he may eat bread.' "'And Moses was content to dwell with the man.' And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Father, we come to you this morning, and we do ask that you would meet with us here today in this word, that as it's preached, as it's been read, that you would open our hearts and our minds and change our hearts through the word by your Holy Spirit's power. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God makes promises to his people, and by way of introduction, we found that he's made a few promises to Abraham and thus to us as a result through him. The first was that he promised to multiply the descendants of Abraham. He said in Genesis twenty-two seventeen, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And we also learned that the ultimate fulfillment of that was not simply found in Exodus chapter one where the Bible said the descendants of Abraham multiplied and were great so much so that the, the Pharaoh was concerned about them overrunning uh, the land and overrunning the power of the Egyptians and so he sought to decrease their numbers and instead they only increased. But ultimately... This fulfillment is in the person of Jesus Christ and faith in him. And the Bible says that those who have the faith of Abraham are counted as the children of God. And so if you are a believer in Jesus Christ for your eternal life, you are a child of God as every, every bit as much as Isaac was. And we read that there will be uh, people uh, from every tribe, from every language, every people uh, that sing praises to God because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and fulfillment of this promise. There's a second promise, and that is the promise of land. God said to Abraham in Genesis 15:18, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Not only has God promised his people the land of Israel, but he's promised much more than a little wedge of property here on planet Earth in Palestine. He has promised a new heaven and a new earth. He has promised the new Jerusalem that will come down in fulfillment of this Abrahamic promise. The book of Hebrews that we read earlier says, verse 12, 12 there, for from one man and him, as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many and as numerable as the grains of sand by the seashore. And they died in faith, not knowing, not having received the things promised. He goes on to say in Hebrews eleven sixteen regarding the land, that he and they desired a better country that is a heavenly one, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he had, has prepared for them a city. He's prepared for us a city, but he prepared Abraham and the patriarchs a city, that the city that they were looking forward to was not ultimately the land of Palestine, but it was ultimately the heavenly city, the heavenly Zion. But you have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, Hebrews 12, 22, and 23. And finally, God made a promise to Abraham that he would deliver his people out of slavery and bring them back to the promised land. Genesis fifteen thirteen. Then the Lord said to Abram, "'Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years.'" But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. The book of Hebrews, we read of the ultimate deliverer, and the ultimate deliverer was not Moses who delivered them out of Egypt. In Hebrews chapter two, verse fifteen, it talks about a delivery of all those who fear death and have been subject to lifelong slavery. Romans sixteen seventeen says that we were once slaves to sin. In Romans six twenty, that we were slaves to sin. But in Jesus Christ and faith in him, Romans six twenty two, we have been set free from sin. Well, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, that those who have faith in Jesus Christ are set free from their slavery to sin, the penalty of sin, from being ostracized from God, from being liable to the wrath of God, but instead being included and accepted and loved and received as part of his family forever, and knowing that promised land that he will deliver us to. And so as we get to our text today, a reminder from last week that God uses people to deliver his people, that God oftentimes will use people as part of his plan to deliver his people. What we find out today is that God will do it in his way, and in his time. And sometimes it's not in our way and in our time as we find with Moses today. Moses was a deliverer wannabe. He wanted to deliver his people. And it's good to want to be a deliverer. It's good to want to be used by God to deliver people from sin and the penalty of sin through the good news of Jesus Christ. Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, in Acts chapter 7, in the New Testament, we have divinely inspired commentary on this event. And here's what it says. Acts 7.23, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Then it says this, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Now, one thing I should say as we look at the text today, and this is true of narrative, particularly in the Old Testament, that we might have a multitude of questions about the text. Uh, What what is meant here? What is meant there? What's going on behind the scenes? What did Moses do, for instance, for 40 years uh, while he was under Pharaoh's roof? We don't know what he did for 40 years. Um, Here he is. Question is, was Moses right or was Moses wrong in killing the Egyptian? The answer to that question is we don't know. We don't have enough information. Uh, Was the Egyptian uh, beating this Israelite uh, to death? Um, We have to look at other portions of Scripture where God explicitly states when uh, homicide is justifiable and when it is not justifiable. Um, And so, we can only theorize here in the text, but it's not the purpose of the text. The purpose of the text is not to give us um, a moral account of what we are to do or not to do in terms of taking of life or not taking of life. Instead, though, what we find in this divinely inspired commentary is Moses was not simply acting out in a rash fit of passion. But he, in fact, saw himself as a deliverer of uh, his people, of the people of Israel. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. So he was a deliverer wannabe. He expected that they would see, that they would take note, uh, that they would applaud that they would look to him as a legitimate deliverer. Perhaps God's given you a heart to help his people. Perhaps God has given you a heart to get the word out uh, and to be part of that process of getting the word out, the good news, the gospel by which people can be delivered from sin and the effects of sin and slavery. And that's a good thing. You know in Romans chapter 12 verse 8 we read of spiritual gifts God has given people in the church that the Bible in 1 Corinthians portrays us his people as a body that we have different parts to play in this task of bringing the message out to deliver people from sin and the slavery to sin we read, for instance, in Romans 12:8, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So perhaps you um, have been given gifts and an inclination to lead, and God is going to use you like he used Moses, like Moses wanted to be used to deliver his people. And the text here says the one who leads with zeal. If you're a leader, then lead. But not all are gifted in teaching, not all are gifted in evangelism, not all are gifted in leadership. Again, God has made us a body for the purpose of bringing people out of slavery. And so what's your role to play? We've had a discussion with Bill Morar this week. It's so good to see Bill here in church. He wasn't doing uh, as well earlier this week i had get a chance to sit down with him and talk with him and um, i had this discussion about how years ago in the early 90s when i was a young campus minister of florida state i came here to first presbyterian church on a wednesday night and i spoke to the gathered group in the social hall i mean in the uh, in the lauren miriam room here and i said to bill and agnes who were sitting there i said you know i've, I've often wondered bill if that was you because somebody came up afterwards and had this discussion with me about second corinthians in the text that i was talking about that night and bill and agnes both together said no it wasn't me or him and i said well how can you be so sure and bill said because the bible's not my thing now what he meant by he didn't mean he wasn't interested in the bible but he meant if you're going to talk about some uh practical need of the church or uh, something like that i would have been all over that and so he We began to talk about needs of the church for instance uh, if you look up you'll see around the uh, the vents there of the air conditioning we've got some staining there I've been noticing that and um, been talking about that and uh, Bill said oh yeah you know uh, several years ago uh, he put plywood down over the pews and erected scaffolding and pulled uh, those vents down uh, to clean it all off Uh, you know they didn't teach us that in seminary uh, I don't know how to do those kind of things. You probably don't know how to. Some of you do. Um, and so, you know, we gather together here in church and we worship on Sunday morning and the building doesn't fall down because there are people who have the ability to do these sorts of things. We're, we're working together as a body to accomplish uh, this deliverance that God has called us to, not in ourselves, but by getting the word out regarding Jesus Christ. I've been reading through the book of Exodus in my devotions and I'm um, to chapter 35 and I read in there uh, an account the Israelites are now out of Egypt and they're building uh, the tabernacle and uh, Moses said to the people of Israel chapter 35 30, see the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, for work in every skilled craft. There were people that God had called and even gifted by the Spirit in order to accomplish Uh, What was necessary to worship God and to glorify him in the tabernacle? And so the point is that God has gifted you to be part of this process. He's using people to deliver his people. What is your role? How has God gifted you? Uh, What are you to be doing in order to fulfill the promise of God and to bring people out of slavery into the promised land? We find this wannabe deliverer is rejected by the Hebrews. And we find here that we have our plans and we have our timetable uh, of when God is going to use us to deliver his people. And that doesn't always happen to be God's plan or God's timing. Exodus chapter 2, verse 13. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man who was in the wrong... Why do you strike your companion? And he answered, "Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian?" And Moses was afraid and thought, "Surely, the thing is known." Now we are going to read uh, the rest of the story in a couple of weeks, and the rest of the story is that God will call on Moses uh, specifically at the burning bush to deliver His people. If you were paying attention to the commentary that I read in Acts chapter 7, you, will, um, you picked up on the fact that Moses, at the time he struck the Egyptian, was 40 years old. And when Moses is met by God at the burning bush, he is 80 years old. He did a lot of waiting between his first attempt at delivering and God's calling him specifically to deliver. Deliver. It was not in God's timing and it was not in God's way uh, when Moses uh, took matters into his hands to deliver his people. And so sometimes we have to wait. Uh, We seek to be used by God, uh, and that's laudable. That's something that we should ask God, what would you have me do? How would you have me be part of this process? Um, I remember many years ago when I was traveling around the country after college, I found my way to Southern California. I was in a church, and I would go to a church for for many weeks. I'd be in a place for six weeks, and I'd go to another place. And so I was in this church uh, after a couple weeks. I had um, noticed that they had a a lot going on in terms of the, the stage, and they had speakers, and they had different things and different people. So I came up afterwards, and I said, To the person who is obviously in charge, I'd I'd love to help out uh, with your worship, and his response to me was, "That's not how it works here." Now I wasn't really sure what he meant by that. I guess he thought that maybe I was saying I'd like to sing a solo, Um, but really I just wanted to be muscle to move speakers around or whatever. That's all I really wanted to do. But but he told me, "No." I was like, "All right, okay." Um, So it was not it was my plan but not god's plan for me at that time to help out with the worship i was at seminary many years later and somebody came from my church in fort lauderdale and uh, he had become a christian within the year and he decided he wanted to go to seminary and uh, he was talking to me and i said what are you doing here i said um I said, Why are you at seminary? You've only been a Christian for less than a year. Uh, You need to go back to our church. You need to talk to the elders. You need to ask the elders to confirm your gifts. And then you need to come to seminary. And so that's what he did. He went back to the church. He talked to the elders and he said, I want you to confirm my gifts. And after a period of time, they did. And he was sent uh, to seminary with their blessing. Uh, So maybe, you know, maybe you have to wait because the church leadership doesn't concur with your vision. Um, Maybe church members in general uh, are not concurring with your vision in something that you want to do. For Moses, uh, his leadership and rejection of his leadership wasn't simply a matter of God's timing. It was also a matter of being rejected by the people. We find in the book of Acts that this was actually sinful on the part of the people, that they were not receiving uh, the leadership of Moses, and they should have received the leadership of Moses. But sometimes we step forward, and there's not a place to step at that particular time. Um, maybe the opportunity hasn't arisen that matches your giftedness. Um, you just have to keep on the lookout and keep for looking for opportunities to use your gifts. Uh, pray for wisdom. Ask the leadership. Ask others how you might be used of the Lord. Maybe a life circumstance is preventing you from being involved in uh, a way of serving or leading that you would like to be. Um, God is in control of circumstances in your life as well and sometimes you have to wait because the circumstances of your life do not allow you to serve in a way that you would like to serve. One of the commentators that I've been reading gave this account of a friend of his, He said, a close college friend of mine was a talented baseball pitcher. During his senior year, he was actively scouted by a number of teams. It had been his dream since early childhood to play in the major leagues. He finished his college career in May and had already been invited to a number of tryouts later that month. One week after his college career ended, he injured his elbow, an injury that swiftly ended any hope of fulfilling his dream. He went to the tryouts anyway, but his performance was clearly below the necessary standard. Ever since he was a boy, he had thought of little else than baseball. And for over two years after his mishap, he struggled with the Lord. Why did this happen? I could have made it. Why didn't you give me a chance to show what I can do? He struggled with his faith and the purpose of his life. He was undone. But the Lord was merciful This man's struggles didn't last forever. He was crushed, but his grief instigated his own long spiritual journey. I would love to say that the Lord healed his arm and that he became the next Nolan Ryan, but he didn't. I would at least like to say that the Lord took my friend from a life of baseball and made him into the next Billy Graham. But this didn't happen either. He is just a regular guy with a wife and children, he has a regular job and a home in the suburbs but the Lord drove him into his desert for a a purpose. He has learned many valuable lessons of faith. He is closer to the Lord than he was before. His faith is active and vibrant. How true it is that the Lord will drive us out of our comfort zones in order that we may learn the painful lesson that only he is our comfort. You know, oftentimes we will spiritualize our desires, and I see that oftentimes in... Sports, uh, and I see that in people wanting to excel in sports for the Lord. Um, I've been watching with keen interest uh, Tim Tebow, Tebow, and his career and his uh, excellent college career, Heisman football player, quarterback, and then going on to the pros. And uh, wondering what's going to happen when he uh, no longer meets with success. And how will he uh, stand for the Lord? Will he stand for the Lord uh, when he's not uh, giving glory to God through winning? And uh, so he's now at a point where he's no longer in the National Football League. He's now uh, in baseball, uh, in the minors. Uh, His uh, season just ended last month, broke his hand. Um, And so he's still uh, working. To achieve in sports but he's not as successful as he was before and to this point praise the lord he's still giving glory to god and walking with him and that is the test isn't it when we have our plans and we think god this is how you're going to be glorified in my life and this is how you're going to use me in my life and it doesn't work out that way are we going to get bitter at god and say god this was my way This was my plan. This is how it's supposed to happen. Or do we say, God, you have your plan and your time, and I believe you will keep your promise. I go back to the Southern Rock Group, 38 Special. This may be the first time I've quoted from 38 Special. Hold on loosely, but don't let go. If you cling too tightly, you're going to lose control. I'd like to paraphrase that. Hold on loosely and be willing to let go. Don't cling too tightly because you're not in control. It's not yours in the first place. And that's okay. You really don't want to be in control, you want the Almighty God to be in control, the one who is faithful, the one who is working. And the one who will work through you, he will do it. And we find here that the oppressor, Pharaoh, seeks to kill Moses, the deliverer wannabe. And that Moses flees to the land of Midian. And so this deliverer wannabe finds himself in uh, in obscurity. And obscurity can be very challenging. So we read in verse 15, When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. And so here we find Moses in the desert. He's far from the luxury that he enjoyed when he was under Pharaoh's roof in Egypt. He's far from uh, the people he wanted to deliver in, uh, in Egypt. And, uh, and then we go on to find out the very last verse of our section today, and Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. I'm rushing to the end of the story, we'll cover what's in between in a minute. But all this to say that Moses is there, he's in the desert, he's hanging out, he's content to be here, the deliverer wannabe, end of the story. Could end right there wouldn't be a very dramatic story. It would be a guy who tried and he failed. Moses is content to just hang out there in Midian for 40 years. But what do we find? We find that Moses has flashes of deliverance, even when he's in obscurity, and that God's plan to use his people to, look to deliver his people will not be thwarted. And so we read, in chapter 2 verse 16 and following now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock the shepherds came and drove them away but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock and when they came home to their father Ruel he said how is it that you have come home so soon today they said an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock and he said to his daughters where is he why have you left the man call him that he may eat bread and Moses was content to dwell with the man and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah now there are a couple words here in the Hebrew text that are pregnant with meaning and we find the first in chapter 2, verse 17, where it says that Moses stood up and saved them. He saved the daughters, the shepherdesses. Um, And that word saved is a word that consistently means saved in a dramatic way. For instance, in the book of Exodus, God saved the Israelites through the Red Sea. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. In Judges chapter 2, verse 16, the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of those who plundered them. And then in verse 19 of chapter 2, we find the word for deliver. An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds. Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, we read, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them out of the land to a good land and a broad land and a land flowing with milk and honey. That's what God had promised to deliver his people. And so Moses is a deliverer and Moses is a savior of the shepherdesses, of these women. And in addition to that, Moses shows himself to be a shepherd. Uh, The shepherds came down and drove them away. But Moses stood and saved them and watered their flock. Now, one thing I should say that I've always read this passage and I thought, well, Moses was a good guy. He was being very chivalrous. And so, you know, the the other shepherds were doing line cutting. You know, they were not being very polite. There's something more intended here. There's something more nefarious. There's something more sinister about what these other shepherds are doing because Moses saved and delivered them. And he was himself a shepherd. He watered their flocks. And again, just as we see glimpses into Moses the Deliverer and Moses the Savior, we see glimpses of Moses the shepherd of his people. In Exodus chapter 32, verses 31 and 32, Moses is having a discussion with God after the children of Israel had messed up big time. And so Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. Moses is saying, if you're going to take the people out, then just take me out with them because I care about my people. I am their shepherd. And so in Psalm seventy-six twenty, we read, You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And so uh, his daughters, uh, he's like, hey, where is this guy? He saved you. He delivered you. He even watered your flocks. And so the Midianites accept the deliverance of Moses when his own people rejected his own deliverance. And we find here that Moses is indeed a shepherd, Moses is ineffective at this point in being the shepherd of his people and ultimately Moses himself will not lead the people into the promised land. He'll never step foot into the promised land. God will use him in a great way, but Moses was never the good shepherd. We have one, Jesus Christ, who is the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And Jesus Christ said, I lay down my life for my sheep. And so we come to Jesus Christ trusting in him, the deliverer, that we are weak, that we are in need, that we are sinful, that we need to be delivered from our sins, the forgiveness of our sins, uh, into the wonderful fellowship of God for all eternity. He brings us into the promised land. And finally, we find that Moses was not home here in Midian, and neither are we. Exodus chapter 22, two twenty-two. she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. The word Gershom sounds like the Hebrew word for sojourner. And so you can imagine that every time that Moses said his son's name, he was reminded of the fact that he was not at home. Hey, uh, not my home. Uh, He he called him that, and he was reminded that he wasn't home. A campus minister at Covenant College did that before I came here. We had uh, missionary kids, a lot of missionary kids at Covenant College, and we had missionary kids that that were born in the United States, and they they went to some uh, foreign land, and they grew up in that land, Uh, And they came back to the United States. And we called them, they're called third culture kids. They're called third culture kids because they've left the United States and they grew up in another country. And that's not really their culture. Uh, But the country they're part of, they're not really received as part of that culture. They're not really part of either culture. And so the designation third culture kids. Well, we're all third culture kids. None of us are home. Moses was not home. Home was not going back to Egypt. Home was not in Midian. And Moses never stepped foot in the land of Canaan. But Moses is home today. Moses is home today. So we too look forward like our predecessors. People of faith, they all died in faith, not having received the things promised. But having seen them, they greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. For if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call them their God for he has prepared for them a city. And so we do have a shepherd that leads us all the way as we are sojourners, as we are waiting for that ultimate home. Hebrews chapter 10, 23 said, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And so we have faith in God's faithfulness.